0: dawn breaks over another summer's day in the northernmost province of South Africa, Limpopo. As the sun and the temperatures begin to rise, a crowd starts together, bringing with them containers of all shapes and sizes, some by hand, some in wheelbarrows. They form a queue and wait. Wait for the truck that will fill those containers with their week's ration of life-sustaining water this underserved community and many like it are a far cry from the high-tech high-paced world of investment banking but within these circles a growing number of voices are demanding that their investment returns should be measured not simply in financial terms but also in their contribution to society and the planet the long-term implications of this trend are vast and still unknown. But the impact is already being felt from the financial capitals of the world all the way to that village in Limpopo. Welcome to Future Impact, an Investec-focused radio essay podcast series It brings you stories of people and organizations contributing to solving South Africa's most pressing sustainability challenges. In this episode, we are chatting to Investex Barry Shamley and Misha Mora Joshi from the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. In an emerging and fast-changing field, there are many working to understand and integrate the mechanics of ESG sustainability and impact investing, and Barry and Misha are near the top of that list. They reveal some truths that may surprise you. We also speak to AP Ventures' Kevin Eggers about his fund's bet on the hydrogen economy, and Morandeni Mafumo tells us how his company, Gusini Water, is building a return on investment while making a difference in communities around South Africa. My name is Sebenzile Ngambule, and this is Future Impact, Episode 1. To start us off, let's unpack some jargon with Investec Wealth and Investment's Barry Shamley. He is Citywide's top-rated equity fund manager for the Investec BCI Dynamic Equity Fund that he manages. He's also the driving force behind Investec's Global Sustainable Equity Fund that prioritizes investment into companies doing good with the aim of helping investors do well.
1: My name is Barry Shamley and I co-manage the Investec Global Sustainable Equity Fund.
0: When we asked Barry to define responsible investing, he described a spectrum with exclusionary investments on the one end through to impact investing on the opposite end.
1: Starting at the left, you have the exclusionary investments, which is your more traditional ESG uh, type of integration. That's been around for decades. And that really is about excluding stocks that don't align with your principles or your beliefs. You move a bit to the right, you've got uh, ESG integration, That is uh, relatively new, when I say new, maybe a decade in the making, and that's about measuring environmental, social, and governance uh, metrics for a particular company and trying to quantify those and adjust your valuation of that company depending on what sort of impact they may have relative to their peer group, uh, their sector, or the, the market as a whole. If you move to the right of that, you have sustainable investments, and that's really about trying to avoid companies that might have a negative uh, externality, be it pollution, some impact on society. And then moving all the way to the right, you have impact investing. And there, the concepts of additionality or intentionality are quite key. So that's not really secondary capital. That's new money that comes in, either private equity, venture capital, uh, private debt or, or infrastructure type of investments. And there you really are trying to make an impact, change something advance something new and hopefully leave a positive impact on society, on the planet.
0: Throughout the series, we will be referring to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, which are the United Nations list of 17 interlinked goals to achieve a more sustainable and equitable planet. They address global issues such as poverty, hunger, education, gender equality and clean water and sanitation, amongst others, And they've been broadly adopted by companies, industries, and brands the world over. There are numerous examples of responsible investing contributing to the SDGs while still achieving a financial return. However, success here requires a different mindset.
2: My name is Misha Joshi. I'm a senior project manager and co-lead of the Innovative Finance team at UCT's Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship.
0: Misha... How would you describe someone who is interested or perhaps already involved in impact investing?
2: Impact investors are different from traditional investors. They look for opportunity in solving these complex social and environmental problems where traditional investors see risk in those same problems. Impact investors are forced to be patient in terms of their capital if they want to seek returns beyond financial rewards. And really, if we're looking at the costs of not investing in impact investments, we're looking at a world where we've got massive amounts of financial reward, but no social stability, no climate change resilience in our economies and our lifestyles.
0: Barry echoes this view highlighting the importance of factoring in externalities, the environmental and social costs of doing business that don't typically appear in income statements.
1: Sustainable investing is really about trying to focus on those companies that don't have these negative externalities, or at least on a net basis have a positive net impact on on society or the planet. In this episode, we will hear the story of
0: two such companies, One, a compelling example of sustainable investing, and the other, a case study in impact investing.
3: I'm Kevin Eggers. Um, I'm a co-founder of AP Ventures. It's a venture capital fund focused on the hydrogen economy.
0: Renewable energy is becoming a major theme, not only in industry and infrastructure, but in our everyday lives as well. This is the space that AP Ventures plays in, backing technology companies that can unlock the potential of one of the universe's most abundant elements.
3: We are focused on hydrogen and hydrogen's role in the energy transition and therefore the decarbonization of energy. And that's fundamental. So from that perspective, it's all about that positive impact. Hydrogen you know, is, a, is a potential energy vector, it's an energy carrier, not necessarily an energy source. So what does that mean? Well, hydrogen can be used, bonded to something else. It's typically, you'd find hydrogen uh, bonded to oxygen, H2O, people commonly know that as, as water. And that's a you know, fundamental and, and abundant source of hydrogen. So it starts with the fact that hydrogen is very abundant. It's the most abundant element in, in the world. And it's just a case of ultimately extracting that hydrogen and then finding ways of using that. So as I said, it's important to note that it doesn't typically exist on its own, and therefore you have to extract it. And it is also a relatively light element. In fact, it's the lightest element. So therefore we have to compress it in order to use a large volume of it in a sustainable, financially attractive manner.
0: At a production output of around 100 million tonnes per annum, and with a value of about $100 billion, the hydrogen industry is already significant. But not all hydrogen is created equal. Gray hydrogen is produced from fossil fuels, making it unsustainable. Blue hydrogen is produced using natural gas with zero net CO2. However, the tech backed by AP Ventures, perhaps obviously, is focusing on green hydrogen, which uses renewable energy to split water into its constituent parts, oxygen and hydrogen.
3: Green hydrogen is really interesting because it's Ultimately, where you cannot electrify energy, therefore you would need hydrogen as a way to sort of decarbonize. That shows up in various chemical pathways, it shows up in steel manufacturing, it shows up a potential way of decarbonizing aviation. So you can think about it as, yeah, you, know, you might use an electric vehicle for small, medium-sized cars, lower mileage, perhaps focused on inner city routes, et cetera, but really for the long, heavy duty cycles, heavy transportation, ships, Large trucks, etc., that's where hydrogen is going to play a role. So it's where you cannot electrify, hydrogen will be fundamental.
0: When it comes to hydrogen fuel cell powered vehicles, South Africa has a tremendous opportunity because we hold 80% of the world's platinum reserves. And platinum is a key input in hydrogen fuel cell technology. But that's not the only opportunity. South Africa could become the world's green hydrogen hub for three other reasons.
3: One is the opportunity to export our renewable energy assets. So the, the, the fact that the sunshine and wind assets that South Africa has can be used to produce hydrogen, which ultimately acts as, a, as an export opportunity where we can export that hydrogen into the global markets. So there's a real benefit there to South Africa. In addition, hydrogen can be used to enhance the stability and resilience of the South African grid and as we all know there are significant constraints on the national grid at the moment and in addition to that there's an opportunity here to enjoy the benefits of leapfrogging technology so rather than installing new coal power plants in the country we can think about accelerating the renewable energy asset infrastructure and around that developing the skills and jobs associated with those developments so there's a real opportunity here for south africa to participate in some of those high skilled jobs and and the opportunities that will be created on top of that. So there's real employment benefit at the same time.
0: AP Venture's focus is on making an impact without losing sight of their other objective, being a successful venture capital firm.
3: It's important to note that we are seeking a financial return. So I think the benefit for what we're doing today is that we're able to go after two things at the same time, both the financial impact as well as the financial return. And I believe we had that really interesting nexus we're able to achieve um, both of those dimensions.
0: This commitment to sustainable outcomes is baked into its covenant with its investors or limited partners.
3: So in terms of meeting a certain minimum requirement around how we operate, who we employ, and how we structure ourselves, our fees are based on our ESG performance. So we've committed to our LPs that we will achieve a certain level of success, otherwise we would face a haircut in our fees. I think that's an important aspect as well. So we're not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk at the same time.
0: If you are enjoying this podcast, look out for other episodes where we explore more about sustainability and responsible investing and discover how the future of investment is already having real world impact. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts. AP Ventures London base is a world away from the rural towns and villages of South Africa where impact investing is changing lives.
3: Ladies and gentlemen from the flight deck, this is your captain speaking. We began our approach to King Sharker International Airport weather on the ground is
4: it. A- when you're flying
3: over KZN
4: when you're just about to land in Durban
0: that's the voice of Gusini Water Founder Murendeni Mafumo.
4: You fly over the Strykenberg mountain range and you see this one house there the other houses is there, but a big chunk of it is connected with the river that flows and dumps the water right into the, the ocean in Devon. In Venda, that was how we settled. The Wet Usi is a small village in Venda. We settled around water sources. So the idea around the name Kusinu was, in our own communities, we've got our own source of water. We are nourishing ourselves, we are nourishing our own food sources and our animals that also give us life in those communities.
0: Murendene is taking the concept of nourishing communities through water and giving it a distinctly 21st century spin with a blend of science and nature backed by responsible investment.
4: So I'm an engineer by background, a scientist and engineer by background. I studied science, but I, I practiced as a process engineer in the water and sanitation space in the public sector. So it was City of Cape Town and Johannesburg Water.
0: Kusini Water manufactures mobile water purification systems that provide clean drinking water to communities and businesses. Because this technology uses a sustainable purification process, the company is one of a growing number of operators in a sector that has come to be known as clean tech.
4: We bring technology that solves the shortage of access to clean water for communities that have no piped water network. We operate a business that brings in income as well as tries to create some form of social impact in increasing access to clean water. We've been in operation now for about four years or so. We are in all nine provinces plus Lesotho, and we give or take in a month to about five million litres of clean water in communities that we operate in.
0: With approximately 4.48 millimetres of rainfall annually, South Africa gets about half the global average. And while water is sourced from neighbouring countries such as Lesotho, the cost and resources required to transport this water, presented Gusini with an opportunity to rethink the way that water is collected, treated and distributed.
4: We go into communities where we look for water sources and we treat the water sources and try and distribute it in those communities, basically decentralising that, similar to how off-grid energy systems would work. Part of the reason why that also should work is recharging the water sources that exist in those communities. So when you find a community that has a high-performing borehole, they do this really, really well in Israel, where the communities that have more water than they can use send that water to communities that have less water than what they can use. So we, in essence, do that.
0: Kusini Water isn't just about providing access to clean water. Their purification process has innovation and sustainability built in. Morandini explains. So
4: we built our uh, treatment systems from a set of two components of two parts. So the first part is a macadamia nutshell water filter. We get shells of waste material from local farmers, primarily in Limpopo. In, uh, we process them in Limpopo and then we bring them here as carbon filter. Second part of that is the nanofibers. Uh, nanofibers help us to remove viruses, bacteria, and E. coli, those type of things from our water. We've got about four IP protections on the design and the functionality of those filters in low pressure water purification. That's important because the biggest cost in water purification is electricity. The lower the pressure, the less the electricity. You can even feed it with gravity.
0: Murendeni, can you share a Gusini water success story?
4: So there's one recent, quite recent community, the land claim community. So they went and they had a successful land claim and they got given the title deed as a trust. This community has up to 500 households. What was happening in the past was that the municipality was delivering water on a truck. So what we ended up doing was we went and found a local source um, and that water now gets through a treatment facility, solar power treatment facility in a small building that has been allocated by the community itself. And in that community there's water committee that has been elected by the committee to ensure that the solar panels are clean and safe, that the water source is protected and that the pipes and everything are all in safe condition. They've got communal taps all around the community. The idea is that at some point eventually those communal taps will be inside people's homes with more financial resources and the ability for the homes to start paying for the water. Because it's a new community, there's never been any water, there's never been any any infrastructure, the municipality would have taken minimum 10 years to build that infrastructure for them. What um, a private social enterprise can do in that kind of setting is that it rapidly can give that water to that community at a much faster rate.
0: Gusini Water aims to be 0% donor funded by 2025, and that's because research has shown that communities are willing to pay for the convenience of piped water in their homes. Gusini is also experimenting with water ATMs, where people can top up from a solar-powered automated water vending machine using a prepaid card. But do the economic benefits of a clean, regular water supply trickle down into the communities as well?
4: there's studies that show that 400 million hours a year spent collecting water. And maybe then that reduces the number of hours. And that's that question around the value of your health. There's so much more you can do when you've got water at home. You are more employable when you've got water at home. Kids can go to school more when they've got water at home.
0: From next generation technology that's helping decarbonize the planet, on-the-ground initiatives that are making a huge difference in people's daily lives, it's clear that responsible investing has the potential to deliver positive change. But can initiatives such as these really make a tangible difference given the scale of the problems we face, particularly in a developing country such as South Africa? Misha, with the conditions in our country being as they are, course, exacerbated in many ways by the pandemic, you'd think that people, businesses, institutions would be thinking more about and moving towards impact investing.
2: Is that happening? I think what COVID has done is it's kind of lifted the veil. We've realized that if I'm not directly affected by the socioeconomic and climate change problems that somebody in a lower LSM is it doesn't mean that indirectly it's not going to come back to me. We've also seen it with a lot of the riots um, in in where the social upheaval definitely affects big companies, affects me as a retailer, affects my investments for when I retire. And so I think there is a general increase in awareness. We've also got an upcoming generational wealth transfer from baby boomers to millennials is one of the largest in history. And so that is a very promising and encouraging thought that these new investors and new generation are going to be a lot more aware about these trends. I think the narrative is becoming a lot more mainstream. There's a lot more of a top-down approach. So we're getting CEOs and COOs, everybody in C-suite, becoming a lot more aware and bringing it into the conversation.
0: But those same CEOs are business people, And at the end of the day, they are judged on their company's financial performance. Can one use the same metrics to measure return on investment of impact investing as we do for traditional investments?
2: Yeah, so I think some of the regular factors that uh, traditional investors look at are important, regulatory certainty, political certainty. But more importantly, I think for impact investors is around the mindset and the culture shift. We need to move away from short-terminism into long-terminism. That means that financiers are going to be modeling the business decisions differently, taking into account a longer period of time for more adequate financial returns. I think also the standardization of measurement of impacts, intentional impacts that are measured are important. And so once you start getting into the nitty-gritty of, well, actually, how much does a household that gets clean water benefit, or what is that worth in rands? It's almost that conundrum or that that quagmire that economists try and avoid, but what is the value of a human life? And we're trying to be as objective as possible, but then also standardise the way in which we measure these impacts.
0: Impact investing is a relatively new concept, but it's one that's already having a real-world impact. It's also beginning to gather such momentum that Investec has created their own fund to help a new generation of investors play a role in responsible investing. Barry explains.
1: The Global Sustainable Equity Fund looks for those companies that make that positive net impact. There are none of those negative externalities, so you can sleep well at night knowing you're getting a financial return. Uh, what we do is we invest in global equities. Our benchmark is the MSCI World the benchmark of the top uh, companies in the world based on their market capitalizations. And really what we're trying to do is pick a portfolio of these great companies, but without those negative externalities, and then trying to beat the market by just having those good companies. So we're not looking to be too far off the benchmark in terms of our sector allocation, but hopefully you don't have any of those uh, controversies or any of these uh, bad costs on society or the planet. How's the fund doing? We have attracted a reasonable amount of investment. Uh, I think we're somewhere between 30 and $40 million now, uh, which for a new fund is, is quite attractive. Uh, we've seen a tremendous surge in the renewable energy investments through the likes of Vestas uh, and the edge as Europe is embracing uh, renewables faster as part of climate risk and as part of energy security concerns uh, with uh, what's going on in Russia. And if
0: you're wanting to invest in a RAND-based responsible fund, you now have that opportunity too.
1: We've recently launched a South African version of the fund, so still invests in these global equities, but it's RAND denominated and available through your investment advisor. We've put it in the South African vehicle to make it more accessible. Essentially, I think for South Africans going into the local version, I think there's a a minimum of about 10,000 RAND. So it's, it's really accessible.
0: So there are already avenues for both institutional and retail investors to get into sustainable investment. And this creates an incentive for companies wishing to raise funds to meet sustainability criteria. But are there inherent business advantages for companies who invest in sustainability themselves? Barry, what's your view?
1: Companies that do invest in their infrastructure, in renewable energy, for instance, not only their cost base reduces, but they also become more efficient. They've got constant electricity here in uh, South Africa, for example. So those management teams that are focused on the long term will reap those benefits. They may underperform in the short term because, obviously, there may be some sort of CapEx requirements to make those adjustments to their businesses. But if you're looking for long-term sustainable returns, for me, it's the only way to go. I really don't think you'll be compromising on returns in the long run by investing in companies that prioritise this type of thing.
0: A good point there, Barry, about short-term pain versus longer-term gain. Misha, what kind of returns should responsible investors be expecting relative to traditional market benchmarks?
2: So I think we need to look a little bit beyond financial return when we talk about impact investment. Really, we need to look at what is an adequate financial return rather than a market related return. Thus far, what we've deemed as market-related returns financially have not really worked in terms of social and environmental outcomes. And so when we look at only market-related returns, we are excluding all of those sorts of impacts. Um, We need to look at adequate market returns, which impact investments are definitely capable of providing. I mean, does it really matter that pension funds achieve these market-related returns or you know, outshoot them. But then we've got retirees that are in an environment that is socially, you know, quite in conflict or in an environment where there's no clean air to breathe. Yeah, it's something for us to think about more holistically.
1: Barry, would you like to add to that? In terms of the risks, I think it's important to understand that your portfolio will look slightly different to the benchmarks. So even though we are trying to uh, beat a specific market-based benchmark, there is a risk that your portfolio will perform differently over a short time period. I think if you move a little bit to the right on the scale and you move into the impact space, I think you've got to accept that there will be some liquidity risk there. So if you enter an investment, you're not necessarily going to be able to exit it in a week's time. So you need to make sure that that investment sort of aligns with your capital requirements, so to speak.
0: Like all investments, though, it's good to be aware of the realities, both for good and for bad. As Barry explained, just because a company's ESG credentials look good on paper, it's always worth doing your research.
1: So you can have some very bad players uh, out there with uh, good ESG scores. All that's really saying is that the company, the management are managing the ESG risks well, but that can be in a terrible industry where you do have those negative externalities in terms of pollution or like massive wage disparity or whatever it may be that's creating sort of an unequal society. So I think the the importance is you can't just assume ESG is a catch-all phrase. You need to really understand the intentionality of the mandate or the positive uh, externalities of the companies that you're investing in. Talk is going to be moving more from ESG to sustainability. And I think the risk of the greenwashing lies more in those sort of like passive indices that say they're ESG, but they incorporate all of the fossil fuel producers and all the companies with, say, dual shareholder structures where sort of minorities outvote majorities, things like that. I think, yeah, you just got to dig a little deeper and understand those potential positive externalities that where you're looking for positive impact.
0: Another reality check realizing that responsible investment is subject to the same global market forces as any other investment. Here's Kevin again.
3: I'm aware of the tremendous amount of human suffering, both in terms of COVID and you know Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and, and what it's caused. But I would say from a sustainable investing perspective and certainly specifically about hydrogen, I think it's been a tremendous positive. There's been a recognition, both initially on COVID, that you know, any of the sort of public monies made available to support the bounce back would be required to be spent in a very thoughtful manner. So this whole concept of building back better has been baked into a lot of the public spending across the United States, Europe, and a lot of the emerging economies. I think that's an initial point to make. And Then when it comes to the recent geopolitical events, suffice to say that just about every country in the world now is thinking a lot more carefully about its own energy independence, energy resilience, and just being a bit more thoughtful about where it's importing its energy from. And We've been living in a world of perhaps somewhat complacent world. Where we've been importing oil and gas from regimes that perhaps had some questionable morals and and now now that's been forced right up into the top of the agenda.
0: Kevin's outlook on hydrogen investment is in many ways a great analogy for sustainable investing as a whole.
3: We're fortunate that we're investing down the road in the future. So from our perspective, you know, the venture capital end you know, I fundamentally think that we're at the tipping point in the energy transition. We're going to see a marked once-in-a-generation change and we're investing on the other side of that opportunity where we see hydrogen playing a meaningful role, where we see energy decarbonizing on a number of different dimensions and there's going to be an impact.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Investec Focus Radio's Future Impact. In our next episode, we'll travel to Lush Mpumalanga where we hear from the founders of the largest rhino sanctuary in the world about their efforts in building and operating a sustainable NPO.
3: A sustainable model is not anymore something on a checklist. It's a reality we have to face
0: when we are in South Africa and we want to do conservation. If you are not yet subscribed, you can find us by searching for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate us if you've enjoyed this conversation. Until next time, cheers from me, Sebenzilinkambule, and the Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of Investec Wealth and Investment and should not be taken as advice, guidance or recommendations. Investec Wealth and Investment, a division of Investec Securities Proprietary Limited, member of the JSE Equity, Equity Derivatives, Currency Derivatives, Bond Derivatives and Interest Rate Derivatives Markets, an authorized financial services provider and a registered credit provider.